Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Everybody, welcome to show number 341 from Engage for Success. I'm Joe Moffat and I'm host for today's show. And today we're going to be talking about gender pay gap reporting and pay transparency. And to help us navigate that topic, I'm very pleased to be joined by a specialist in that field, Ines Miller. Ines is co-founder and CEO at Spectral, and um, will be telling us a little bit more about what that uh, what that organisation is all about in a moment. Um, and, and also sharing with us a little bit about his, his background. So welcome to the show, Ines. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Joe. Great to be here. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's good to have you. Now, I know timing-wise, um, we particularly chose today for this show because the uh, the UK's deadline for gender pay gap reporting uh, was, in fact, um, the 4th of April. Uh, and so uh, we were sort of scheduling this show to um, time uh, with that. But, of course, as with the so many other things that are going on, both in the, uh, the business world and more widely, um, events have rather um, taken over the agenda, haven't they, and, uh, uh, and, and had some kind of impact. So I think we, we couldn't possibly um, start today's show without just talking a little bit more broadly about what's going on in the world. I think the UK this week, we're just entering into week three of uh, lockdown in the UK, and uh, you know, all the impact that that is having on, on the business world and, of course, on this whole issue of uh, gender pay gap reporting. So, so perhaps we can, we can talk a little bit about that before we get into the specifics. Um, so from your perspective, um, which might be useful just to give us a little bit of a, a, a potted background to you, a little bit of a potted biography of where, you know, what your background is in this, and then and then we can just talk a little bit more broadly about coronavirus and, and the impact of that on uh, on the topic and, and business generally. Yeah, sure, no problem at all. Yeah, so um, my background, Joe, is largely um, within financial services um, and within that the retail uh, investment market. Um, mm-hmm. I spent time uh, mainly working uh, in consultancy um, over the last sort of 25 years or so, and um, I've had the opportunity. Um, to also work abroad, primarily in Central uh, and Eastern Europe. I've been based um, in Hungary. Um, my wife, incidentally, is um, Hungarian, and, uh, and we've, got, we've got two children. So, I mean, from my point of view, I think that um, that was very valuable um, uh, from a diversity perspective and really just having the opportunity to um, work in a region um, that is very diverse, including countries like Greece um, uh, and Turkey. So... Um, a lot of variance um, there, but also, you know, hugely enjoyable um, to have that, that opportunity. Um, Spectral as a company, just to give you a little bit of background uh, on what yeah. we do. So um, we help organizations. We've developed um, a cloud-based platform um, to help organizations really try and get a much better understanding um, of their uh, gender um, and diversity profile um, with a view to then actually helping them um, to improve that. Um, and a key part of that is around preparing um, their gender pay gap report, which, of course, here um, in the UK um, is a legal requirement. Um, it applies to around 10,800 organisations. Um, but as you sort of alluded to, uh, this year uh, it has actually been suspended. So because of everything that's been happening, the government said, look, 
Um, let's just put that on hold for now, um, which, which I think is quite quite understandable. But um, right. okay, good. Um, so so I mean, we're going to talk about that topic in a little bit more detail. Talk talk generally from a a business the business impact the impact on the whole sort of sustainability agenda and 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 you know sort of where where we think businesses may go uh, as a result of the impact of coronavirus that we're all grappling with at the moment and I wonder what your views on that might be in it yeah so if I could maybe sort of just take um, a few minutes really just to try and sort of contextualize um, the situation um, that we're in right now so I think that over the last few weeks you know we've heard um, much use of phrases like interesting times strange times challenging times but I think that Right now, what we're in um, actually goes way beyond that, um, and that perhaps this is, you know, a, ve- a very important and significant uh, pivotal point in the global economy um, and our societies, potentially since, since World War II, and I think certainly more so since the financial crisis um, uh, of 2008. And I think that, you know, even although the current situation um, is hard for many people. Um, I think that you know, it is leading to a reset of values um, and purpose, much of which actually was in train before the, the financial crisis started. Um, and over time, that is going to lead to new opportunities and eventually to improvements in areas um, such as gender equality. Um, when we talked to our clients about gender pay gap reporting, um, we talked to them about it in, in a much broader context. And actually, try and get them to think about how it actually fits um, with this broader um, sustainability um, uh, agenda and I think that really in the last I mean sustainability has been around for a number of years obviously but I think in particular in the last 18 months um, it's something that really has um, um, come to the fore mm-hmm. and in addition to initiatives like the UN Sustainable um, Development Goals Initiative um, we are also seeing through organizations such as the Business Roundtable which is a very important organization in the US represents companies that are generating somewhere in the region of seven trillion of income um, and its members include some very powerful investment management groups like BlackRock and JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley. Um, and they are promoting um, a new agenda that's all very much about the importance of purpose over profit and the shift mm-hmm. from shareholder primacy uh, to stakeholder uh, primacy. Um, and that, this also may be further accelerated uh, as we begin to see governments um, and the nation state now actually playing a much bigger role in economies. Um, and we're seeing that through things like lending schemes and bailouts, um, and in some cases, um, equity stakes being taken. So when this is all done and dusted, um, that is all going to provide them with um, much you know, greater influence than they've had before. So I think that you know, the move towards inclusive capitalism may also be um, accelerated as a result of that. Um, when we look into the world of investment, um, investors are placing ever more important and growing sums of money um, into funds that focus on uh, ESG, um, and that stands for environmental, social, and governance. Um, and what's interesting is, is that actually in recent weeks, these funds have actually outperformed uh, the global stock indices. Um, and Fascinating, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely, and I think that you know a lot of it probably comes down to you know good good governance. Um, but there are yeah. stocks that specialise in, for example, things like um, telecommuting, distance learning, and telemedicine um, have all risen um, dramatically. 
So I think that, that is you interesting. Know, and I think this is, you know, this is this is going to continue. Um, I mean, there are billions of dollars um, being placed into these funds, and um, the amount of money that's going into them um, is accelerating, and, and you know, and that's going to continue. Um, and through that, we are going to see people like the pension funds and the asset managers, um, and people like you and I, who are retail investors, actually using, you know, the leverage around the money that they invest to drive um, further change. So. Um, I think that this is encouraging. But on the flip side, I think that before this, the crisis struck, we were also seeing questions being asked of certain industry sectors. Um, and, um, you know, there have been a number of them that have actually been quite badly um, hit um, by the crisis. Um, and, you know, here we're talking about companies in fast fashion, um, the airline industry um, and car manufacturers, new car sales today, for example, were down 40% um, year on year. So, you know, that's, that's a huge drop. Yeah, so I that's think massive. That once we get through this crisis, I mean, I, I think it's going to be um, highly unlikely that what we see on the other side is going to be very different to, to, to what we knew um, before. And I think that, you know, we are entering a period of transformation that will accelerate um, a number of important uh, changes that, as I say, were in train before um, all of this um, all of this began. I mean, for example, could this? I mean, for the last ten years we've talked about um, the end of consumerism, but you know, could this now actually be the case? I mean, we're seeing brands like Debenhams, New Look, Carluccio, Monsoon, Kath Kitson, The list goes on. Are you know in administration and will potentially disappear from our high street at a time when Amazon and Acado share prices um, are trading near um, to their all-time highs. But I think that from an employee perspective and thinking about employee engagement, um, this crisis has really been about about people because this is a health issue that we're dealing with. And I think that it has shone a light on how employers um, are treating their employees and not only um, employees within their organizations, but you know, further down the supply chains um, in the companies that also provide them with the goods and services that they need. Um, and you know, I think that once this is all over, if organizations have not performed terribly well on that front, then you know, that's something that might not be forgotten um, and actually have an impact on the, you know, the attractiveness and perhaps even the longevity um, of these companies once um, this is all over. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see, won't it? I mean, it's it's fun. It's interesting in that in that you know, for the last goodness knows how many years now, we've been banding around the term, you know, transformation programs, and I I, I don't think there's a single organisation that I talk to who isn't embarking on some kind of transformation program or 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 other. Um, I don't think anyone could have imagined. I mean, this is the biggest transformation program of the lot, isn't it? And it and it kind of happened almost overnight with no for, no forewarning. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, there are definitely going to be some fundamental changes, I think. You're right. And um, the idea that things will go back to normal, uh, I think, is, is, you know, just a it's a phrase, isn't it? But it's um, very, very unlikely to actually be back to normal in the sense of going back to how things were. I think some things will definitely change forever. And I think you're absolutely right. Um and yeah, it's interesting. So, so shareholders really starting to hold organisations to account to deliver on their promises rather than simply 
talk the talk when it comes to things like sustainability and, uh, and, and obviously yeah. you know, uh, diversity yeah. and inclusion and all the rest of it. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a really important point as well, because I think that one thing that we do see is, I mean, the term greenwashing has been around for a number of years, but I think over the last 12 months, we've also seen the term um, purpose washing um, appearing a lot more. And that is where, <laughs> you've, got, that yeah. is where you know, you've got organizations that, um, you know, they like to wave a bit of a flag and say, hey, you know, we're, we're doing all of these great things. But in reality, what's happening in the organization is actually very different. And there's a disconnect. You know, the key really is to make sure that in terms of what you're saying, you're actually doing um, uh, as well. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, where that's not happening, investors, you know, they are also looking out for that. They want, they're looking for that disconnect because it potentially tells them something um, about, you know, the organization and really, you know, how authentic and genuine it is. Um, and, you know, where that doesn't exist, then it can potentially raise some red flags. Yes. Absolutely. And of course, that is absolutely aligned for, for those who are familiar with Engage for Success and are uh, the, the, the four enablers. You know, that is absolutely underpinned by the four enablers. They're being able to have a, a strategic narrative about where the organisations come from, where it's going is all about purpose. And then there's the, the, the fourth enablers around integrity of values and behaviours, that it's not just about talking the talk, but it's very much about demonstrating and walking the walk and doing what you say you're going to do um, at, at every level. So interesting. Okay, well, we've spent quite a bit of the show talking, setting up, setting up the context. So what, what, let's, let's move it on. I mean, how do you think what's, been, what's going on at the moment in terms of the current COVID situation is going to impact the whole gender equality issue in the future then? In it? Yeah, well, I think that Right, in the here and now, right at this moment in time, as in any crisis, unfortunately, um, women do tend to be impacted more um, as their focus has to turn um, for caring for family. And, um, you know, I think that your good friend, Gifty Enright, articulated this very well in her LinkedIn post. Um, from oh, yes. April. Mm. Um, but I think that if we can sort of look beyond the current situation, and I think that if we can look to try and take some positives um, from the current situation, it is that pretty much every organisation in the UK that can operate on a remote working basis, and of course not all organisations are in a position where um, their employees can do that, but you know, where right. it is, well, they now have the infrastructure in place um, to enable remote working and flexible working. And you know, over time, that could actually be very significant um, in helping to close the gender pay gap. So. Through numerous um, research studies, I mean, we know that flexible working um, is one of the key initiatives that organisations need to, to implement if they want to be able to reduce their gender pay gap. Um, mm. However, even organisations that offer it don't always encourage it, and in some cases it can actually lead to greater discrimination for women in particular who decide that they want to take advantage of it. And, you know, I've, I've certainly heard plenty of stories in the past whereby you might have um, a woman in a team and her boss basically or her manager, line manager, um, just simply doesn't believe um, in flexible working and actually wants to have his team um, in the office at all times. Um, and that can actually lead to issues. But now, of course, we're in a situation where that line manager is now having to spend a period of time working from home. So let's just hope that actually the current situation will actually um, reset some of the attitudes um, towards flexible working and actually more organisations will recognise that, you know what, we can actually 
um, we can actually do this. So I think that it has been a bit of a leveller um, for mm. some, some leadership teams. And, you know, hopefully um, it does demonstrate that, you know, adjustments um, can be made. Um, but also over time, I mean, it might also lead to more organisations thinking, actually, can we perhaps um, operate with a flatter uh, organisational structure? And, um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe um, it's something that I haven't seen an awful lot written about, but uh, or research um, undertaken into, but maybe in time that's something that could also um, help to improve the, the gender pay gap uh, in a number of organisations. Yes, yes, interesting. Well, let's let's hope that's the case. So, um, as you as you mentioned at the at the start, Innes, the um, gender pay gap reporting deadline, which should have happened on the fourth of April, has has been suspended um, for, for the year. Um, and uh, a number of organisations obviously were due to report. Um, but that doesn't mean to say, does it, that, that people just haven't reported. I mean, a number had already logged their reports, hadn't they? Yeah, indeed. I mean, I, I think many organisations do leave it late to report um, when they actually prepare uh, their gender pay gap data, of course, is a different question altogether. You know, they could have prepared it last August, um, for yeah. example. Um, but we do know that you know, a number of companies you know, and organisations do tend to sort of um, leave it quite late. And I think for that reason, um, the government recognised it um, and decided that actually at a time when HR functions um, really we are going to have to focus on um, preparing employees, employees for lockdown, homeworking, um, furlough, etc., that actually to, to ask them to prepare gender pay gap reports perhaps wasn't, um, wasn't the right thing to do. Um, but you're right, we did see around... Um, 50% of organisations um, have reported. So last year, in total, there were around 10,800, um, and that covers public sector, private sector, um, and voluntary, um, including charities. Um, at the deadline, okay, can yes. I just can I just interrupt a minute, Ines? Is there a, um, is there a, uh, for our listeners who are not familiar with this, is there a minimum size of organisation that has a mandatory duty to report? There is indeed. So it is 250. So uh, organizations with 250 or more employees um, have to report. Um, increasingly, we are seeing um, more organizations with less than 250 employees um, reporting. Um, oh, because, okay. yeah, because they, because they, you know, they recognize that actually the gender pay gap document is an important document as part of the role of the role and stakeholder management and communication piece. Of course. Yeah. And, and can, can what we've seen, can we draw any useful conclusions from what is only about 50% of what you'd expect? It's very difficult. I mean, I did have a look at the numbers um, earlier on this afternoon, and right now the median gender pay gap is standing at 10.5%, and that compares to 9.5% uh, last year. So um, right. when we look right now um, it is telling us that it's up by 1%. Um, but once the uh, organisation support, I, I mean, it, it will change um, quite dramatically from that, I, I would have thought. How much of an, you know, an improvement there will be um, once all of the data is in um, is difficult to say, um, but probably not a lot, in all honesty. Mm, mm. So it's been postponed for a whole year? Um, it's not been postponed for a year. Um, the government has just said that it's been suspended. 
and they have given no date as to when um, um, they would like organisations to then report by. Once we get into next year, of course, um, the data um, for gender pay gap report, because the snapshot date is on the 5th of April, um, by that time, organisations, well, sorry, many organisations, of course, sorry, um, have furloughed employees. They wouldn't be included within the report. So the data, right. um, if the government sticks to that date for next year, um, or actually for, for this year, the data is going to be um, quite dramatically skewed. So I think there's a question as to whether or not it maybe needs to be taken from February, for example. Right, right. So do you, are you surprised that that headline figure's gone up by about 1%, or do you think that's something you'd have to treat with enormous caution anyway? Absolutely, yeah. It definitely, it definitely has to be treated uh, with, with caution. Mm, mm. So, uh, uh, so really, we can't draw a huge amount from, from what we're seeing at the moment, but if we, if, so if we just expand the conversation a bit more broadly again, overall, how seriously do you think organisations take this topic? Is, is, it, is it something that they see as a burden and a tick box exercise? Um, or, or do they see it as actually something valuable? I mean, you, talk, you talked about some of the organisations doing this voluntarily who don't have to do it. Clearly, they take it seriously because they see it, as, as you say, as a means of demonstrating their commitment to these things, which is important. But generally speaking, what's your take on how, how seriously organisations um, think about this? Yeah, so there is actually quite a bit of variance in the market. So at one end of the spectrum, um, unfortunately, we see too many companies adopting what we call a fire and forget approach. Um, and this is where they simply just view it as a compliance exercise. Um, and they do the bare minimum. Um, they'll prepare the report, they'll get it submitted, and then they will forget about it uh, until next year. Um, interestingly, in news reports, we also see quite a bit of um, uh, inaccurate data. Um, and just on to um, an investment analyst last week um, who was telling me that they can actually tell quite a lot about a company's view on equality um, by looking at the gender pay gap report. So, for example, if that report's maybe just on one or two pages um, and it's being produced using words, it's not terribly well presented, um, doesn't really sort of carry any uh, detail on what actions the company plans to take to address its gap, then for them that would you know, highlight a red flag, um, and especially from um, an ESG perspective, because the S um, diversity is a very important part of the whole social piece. Um, so they would then want to, you know, try and understand um, uh, a lot more uh, about that. Incidentally, I mean, around 20% of reports carry inaccurate data. Um, in some cases, that's just deliberate because, um, you know, the organisation might just be happy to stick in. Um, uh, any old number, um, although the, uh, the Equalities and Human Rights Commission have managed to sort of get on top of uh, most of these these cases now. Um, but in other cases, it can actually be where the legislation has genuinely been um, uh, incorrectly interpreted. Um, right. There was one that we were asked to audit last week, and in fact, the gender pay gap in that report was actually 8% more than it should have been. So there may well be that there are organisations out there that are actually sort of, you know, doing themselves out by um, not following um, the legislation as, as they should be. Right. But I actually, think. 
um, we see organisations um, who are thinking more broadly um, about their stakeholders, about their stakeholders um, and what this actually means to them. And these stakeholders include people like current employees, prospective employees, customers, suppliers, and the media. And for them, they really do view it as an opportunity to communicate the actions that they are taking to improve um, gender balance at all levels uh, in their organizations. Um, and investors, and, and I mentioned previously the pension funds, but also private equity mm. firms, are increasingly asking to see gender pay gap reports as part of their decision um, uh, on who to invest in. Um, and even more recently, um, Goldman Sachs, um, the, the investment bank, they have also said that they will not IPO any company um, that cannot demonstrate that it's got uh, one diverse board member. So, you know, we're seeing a lot more um, actions like this being taken um, to really force organizations to think about um, what they're doing in this area. And I think that, you know, that's only heading in one direction and it's only yes. going to be important. Yeah, and that, of course, is because, I mean, let's not, let's not, Let's not kid ourselves, or maybe I'm being cynical. Tell me if I'm being cynical here, Innes. But they're not, these organizations, these, these investors, gold, the likes of Goldman Sachs, they're not doing this out of any sense of altruism, are they? They're doing it because they have seen the data and know that the data proves that more diverse and inclusive organizations um, perform better. Exactly. And I think that, you know, one of the big things to come out of um, diversity in organizations is innovation. And, you know, at a time like this, it is so important um, for organizations to be thinking about how they're going to innovate, how they can really get to the front foot. I mean, I think that, you know, I mentioned really in the opening, um, this crisis is going to change a lot. I mean, I think it's going to accelerate things that we were thinking might actually happen in you know the next 10 years i was chatting to somebody a few days ago who was saying you know who does a lot of work around the future of work and she was mm -hmm. saying that the things that we are talking about when we were, were going to happen come 2030 are happening now so all of a sudden there's a decade there that's been collapsed yeah. um and of course investors are looking for this they want to know who are the companies that are ahead of the game here who really understand the impact that all this is going to have in a, in a position to respond to. And of course, it is all about people. Do you have the right people? Do you have the diversity of talent and thinking in your organization um, to create that innovation and creativity that's going to keep you at the forefront? Yes, yes. Because I mean, certainly it's, in, it's interesting. I mean, another, another key driver of innovation and creativity is, is employee engagement. And there's a, you know, the direct link between levels of uh, employee engagement in organizations and the extent of innovation and creativity that they, that, you know, engaged workers are more creative and are more innovative. And so it's been a, it's been a sort of um, a, a, a desire of mine for years. And I've, I've talked about it with David McLeod, the um, uh, founder and, and board member of the, of the Engage with Success movement is, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be wonderful if one day, um, institutional shareholders, the kind of organizations you're talking about, the, the investors and so on, were actually equally asked their organizations to share their employee engagement figures as a measure of organizational success as well. And it, it's all kind of part, in a way, it's all part of this mix, isn't it, that you're talking about, that they're all, these are all the indicators of a effective and um, sustainable business. 
Yeah, very much so. And I think also, you know, there is there is a much greater move towards um, more transparency um, and accountability. Um, and again, I think that we're, you know, we are going to see a lot more of that happening. And um, yeah, it would be very intriguing to actually take a, you know, look at the results of, uh, of some some of these organisations. It really would. Okay, so we've got we've got just under two minutes left. After this time would fly. Um, so in the in the couple of minutes that we've got left, can we just kind of wrap things up by saying we're in the middle of a crisis. We're at the very beginning of this crisis, but. Some people, I was talking to a client the other day who a particular group of people in their leadership team are actually being pulled away from business as usual stuff and being told to start future scoping and thinking ahead. So what are the kinds of things that you think organizations should be thinking about now to prepare themselves for time after this um, comes to an end? Yeah, definitely, because I think that you know it is clear that we are not going back um, to way that, the way that things were, you know, were previously, um, and I think that um, organisations are going to have to think about how their markets um, uh, are going to change, um, and they're probably going to some clues around that right now. Um, they do need to undertake some some uh, scenario planning. Um, mm-hmm. In certain cases, there will be opportunities that will emerge out of this, but I think in others. It may well be that we actually see um, opportunities channeled to market markets in themselves um, close down altogether. Um, but I think also is about really looking at uh, you know how how this current crisis has changed the ways of working um, and thinking about what organisations can actually um, do to improve upon that um, by you know by you know fully embracing things like flexible working and remote working um, to address gender equality. Um, thinking about you know whether or not their cult, their culture and their purpose is fit for the next yeah. evolution of the economy and society, and think about how stakeholder attitudes um, are changing. Um, and you're right, also you know is there is there approach to engaging with employees during all of this? Is it, is it robust? Yes, yes, and thinking really, it's not about just getting through this crisis, but it's actually taking this as an opportunity to think about how do you use this to make yourself fit for the future terms of attracting and retaining future talent. Thank you. It's been really fascinating. Um, we could talk about it all night. Unfortunately, we've run right out of time. Um, Innes Miller, CEO of Spectral, thank you very much for joining us and thank you for listening. Good night. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light. Engage for Success Radio. Raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.